Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. In um, recent months, I've... um been preaching on some of the, the many aspects of the Holy Spirit. And um, I've been concerned at times that what I've been saying is really imparting just information to you. And that's good and, and it's necessary, but today I want to look at it, hopefully in a more practical way, at how you can unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And um, then finish, and I'm going to finish off with uh, well, maybe just one illustration so um, and in preparing this I want to give some credit to Alan Jackson at the last supper on the night before Jesus was crucified he uh, had a long conversation with his disciples and uh, this conversation is uh, described detailed in John chapters 14 to 16 what would you say to your friends if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die And as Jesus talked to his disciples at that last supper, I expect that they may have become a little unsettled and a little anxious because if Jesus was leaving, what was going to happen to them? They'd left their careers, their employment to follow him and now it seemed that whatever expectations they had for the future were about to be swept away. But Jesus encouraged them with the news that though he was about to leave them physically, he was not about to leave them there all alone. (laughs) Seems funny, doesn't it? How can that be? But a change was about to come in the way that God was meeting with them. Jesus was promising to send the Holy Spirit to be with them permanently as a helper. And depending on which translation you read, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the comforter, advocate, helper or counsellor. So although the disciples may have been anxious about what was going to happen, Jesus was telling them there that it was to their advantage that he went away. That might have seemed confusing to them. Let's read from John chapter 16, verse 7 from the Amplified Bible. And it says, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counsellor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. The Greek word used here in reference to the Holy Spirit is parakletos, which means one who is called to one side, especially to help. It also means an intercessor, an assistant, one who pleads the cause of another before a judge. There's one more thing that I need to make clear before we move on. And it can be hard to understand sometimes that there is one God who consists of three distinct persons with unique roles who make up the Trinity. 
Right? There is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And all the three members of the Trinity are fully God and function in unity with each other. And yet they are one God, not three. So at any time, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all, he's, he's those three things all at once. God is those three things all at once. So we can see that the Holy Spirit is almighty God himself. He has the characteristics of God and is equally omnipotent. Uh, that means unlimited power and authority. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, everywhere present at the same time, and eternal. Uh, and I haven't got those readings up, but though you can find references to that in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 to 14, Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, and Hebrews 9, verse 14. So as Christians, we need a knowledge of the Holy Spirit, and, but we also need to experience his power. It's not an either-or situation where we have to make a choice, either one or the other. We need to have knowledge, but we also need to have experience with the Holy Spirit at the same time. The knowledge of God alone will not make us an effective Christ follower. We need the experience of God in our lives that gives us first-hand knowledge of what God is like and how we can experience him. Because, you see, we need an increasing experience of God, a yielding to God, a cooperation with God in our lives. He's wanting to form our lives with our experience of him, not just information about him. If we will limit the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we are restricting the power and impact that God wants to show us. We really need his help in doing this. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I once um, worked here in Murray Bridge for someone that believed, said that, yes, I believe in God, but then looked at the occult practices to try and make the business prosper. So it seemed like two opposite things. Yeah, I believe in God, but I'm doing this to um, bring, make the business work. Knowing about God and drawing near to him are two different things. In chapter 1 of James, he tells us that those who pray but then doubt are unstable and won't see their prayers answered. Let's read James chapter 1, verse 8. Speaking about this, he says, Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And then a bit further on in James, in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We usually consider double-minded to mean <laughs> indecisive. But here it's better interpreted as inconsistent. Sometimes we can become inconsistent in our Christian walk. Some days we're all fired up and ready to stick close to God 
and, you know, just run after the destiny that he has for us. And other days, maybe when life's not going the way we would like, we're not so enthusiastic about sticking close to God and the plan that he has for us. Inconsistency creeps in. I've known Christians who seem to accept their inconsistent Christian walk as being normal. James wrote, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James characterises this inconsistency. He tells sinners that they need to wash their hands and the double-minded need to purify their hearts. And what he's really saying is that if they're allowing inconsistency in their life, then there's something impure has made its way into their hearts and is flourishing and growing and it's not helpful for your Christian walk. Colossians 3.2 tells us, Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. (laughs) Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But we all know that it's hard to do. Setting your mind on the things of God is not easy. You know, we live in a world where there's always lots going on in the, in, around us. Um, there's events of life taking place and they're often pushing their, themselves into the first place in our minds. Things like our work environment, paying the bills, looking after the family, looking after your health, or maybe looking after other members of the family's health. And in these times it's easy to set the things of God to one side. I want to continually set my mind on the things of God, but I can't. Other things get in the way. We need help. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6 gives us a heads up. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The man governed by the flesh, sorry, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So it's clear that if we live by our old sinful nature, our mind becomes full of thoughts that are far from God. Verse 6 tells us the mind is governed by the flesh of Sorry, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Look, ungodly thoughts and images are going to come to all of us at some time. But they're only an issue if we let them remain there in our mind and grow. Martin Luther once said, you you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) You can't keep the devil from suggesting thoughts, but you can choose not to dwell or act on them. You know, what, what fuels your thought life? Is your thought life fueled with godly thoughts or are they fueled with thoughts that are no different from, other, from people who aren't Christians? We, we need to decide that we will, what we're going to listen to and read and hear. You know, we're going to decide that we're not going to read, listen or watch ungodly stuff 
and give it access to our thinking process. It requires self-discipline on our part. You have to decide. So what's your daily protocol for protecting your mind and your spiritual walk? Set your mind on God so that your mind and spirit are protected from the worldly attacks of the enemy, that is the devil. The obvious approach is to read God's word and meditate on, it, on what you've just read and uh, let the words sink into your mind and into your thinking so that they become naturally part of the thoughts in your mind so that in the moments of crisis they immediately come to mind when you need them to make a quick decision. The thought life going on in your head influences the way we interpret the events going on in the, real, in the world around us. On the best days of our lives, sorry, on the bad days of our lives, there is turmoil and trouble and sometimes it's easy to wonder where God is in all of this and, you know, has he abandoned us? And it's in those times that we need to be prepared to trust God and let him point us in the right direction. Because if we've got our minds pointed in the right direction, um, then God, in the challenging times, we can ask God, what's your purpose in this? We can see where God's leading us and how he's working it out for us. So I started talking about the Holy Spirit. So you might be wondering why I'm talking so much about our thought life. You know, we would all like to see the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives. And if it was just simply as laying hands on someone and praying over them, it would be easy. Um, just let me clarify one thing here. When we give our hearts to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to work in us. All right, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about releasing the power of God to do supernatural things in our lives. And the underlying foundation for this is our thought content, right? The underlying foundation of this is our thought life. What's going on in our heads? You know, our God is a holy God. And if our thought life is unholy, then we're limiting the activity of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is here to be our helper. Jesus had a purpose. He came to be our saviour. And the Holy Spirit has a purpose also and he's here to reveal to us God's kingdom purpose. Jesus came to bring a benefit to you, to show us the very nature of God. And the Holy Spirit has come to bring us an equal benefit, the powerful presence of God. It makes no sense to limit our invitation to him. A few minutes ago I read to you John 16 verse 7 where Jesus tells his disciples it's better if I go away <clears throat> Jesus knew that we would be better off with the Holy Spirit who could be with us everywhere at any time rather than uh, with Jesus who was only in a bodily form and could only be in one place at a time one of the Holy Spirit's activities is to help us help to bring us knowledge 
insight and understanding. Not just in, uh, information, but our understanding on how we can approach living in the world in a godly way. And this is the way that we need, sometimes we need to recalibrate our thinking and our attitude so that we can live in the world in a way that's in a, a godly way. In Acts 10, we read that <clears throat> the way the Holy Spirit gets Peter's attention and shows him how he needs to recalibrate his thinking. And without reading all of this, just to briefly introduce it, um, at the town of Caesarea, or Caesarea as they call it in Israel, there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius who believed in and prayed to the God of the Jews. One day at the hour of prayer, he saw a vision in which an angel appeared to him and told him to send for Simon, also known as Peter. At that time, Peter was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner at Joppa. And the next day at about noon, as Peter was waiting for the meal to be prepared, he went up onto the roof to pray and as he did, he fell into a trance. Reading from Acts 10 verses 11 to 29. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken up and back to heaven. While Paul was wondering, sorry, Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asked if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go down, get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, or for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And they replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, they arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand up. Sorry, Peter made him get up and said, Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with Peter, with him, Peter went into the house and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. Now, um, may I ask why you've sent for me? So after talking with Cornelius, Peter began to preach to the people, gather there and tell them of the work of Jesus. And we'll just take this up for a few more verses from verse 44. And while Peter was still talking, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers and all who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of these being baptised with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. When um, Pastor Vic used to preach, when he had Bible readings up, he always had pictures of Israel with it. And I haven't done that, but I'm gonna, I've got some pictures of Israel that I'm just going to show you today. Um, I had a picture of um, the ocean and some of the buildings at um, Jaffa, which is Joppa in Jesus' day. Somehow that photo got missed out of the presentation. So he was at, uh, they were at Joppa, which was an ancient seaside town. Uh, Joppa was also the town where um, Jonah, when God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach, he went to Joppa, jumped on a boat and went off the other direction. And it was here at Joppa that um, Peter was at the house of Simon the Tanner. And then they travelled up to Caesarea, which was, took a, maybe a couple of days. And um, so here's a picture that um, I took when we were at, it was a, a Roman town, Caesarea. And uh, that's actually quite a large amphitheatre um, when you're actually there in person. And um, to the right, you can see there's a ladder that's going up onto the stage and then behind that is the ocean, the, Pacific, uh, the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And um, you may have seen that um, some of the um, Christian... Um, uh, there's been concerts there singing using that spot. And so can we just go back to that last photo just for a moment? And I was going to make a joke about this guy here who was uh, like my photo bomb. I kept following me around and getting in my photos. But if you can't recognise it, it's actually uh, Mark Turner. <laughs> who Mark and Chelsea were on the... Uh, and the kids were on the tour with us, so um, Mark couldn't help me get in the photos sometimes. Now, can we look at the next photo? So from where I was standing a moment ago, if you turn around and walked in the opposite direction for maybe 100 metres... Um, you walk past um, the remains of what was the palace that Herod built and uh, also um, was where Pontius Pilate was probably living in Jesus' time. And then just past that is, and I mean 20 or 30 metres, it <laughs> seems like, it was the, the Herod's Praetorium where um, Paul was kept as a prisoner for a couple of years. And if you look to the right of that, you see... Um, you see this, um, oh, I've forgotten the, the proper name for it. Um, it was a place where they had running races, round, 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 and, um, and also some chariot races. And you can see that um, on the left there is the ocean which has crept up. And um, it's a hippodrome, that's what I'm trying to think of. 
if it rains, I think. And, um, and over, you can see on the far side, on the right-hand side, up the top there, there's sort of a bit of a scrubby section. Can we now go to that next photo? And uh, I'm standing down there by the ocean, looking across there, and you might be thinking, well, what's exciting about this? Well, it was up on the top, on top of that uh, ridge on the other side that the Roman officers lived. So it was somewhere here that Cornelius lived, up on top there. And uh, so it's where Peter would have gone to, um, to visit with him. So Peter was at Joppa, at the ancient town port on the coast of Israel, and he's waiting for his midday meal, and he goes up on the roof to pray. Now, what do we do when we're waiting for a meal? Right? We might be fiddling with our phone, checking our emails, <laughs> playing a game, watching YouTube, whatever. Right? But Peter was focused on God and he was praying. And as he's praying, he sees a vision in which he's told to eat foods that the Jews weren't allowed to eat. And uh, he hears a voice that he recognises as God's voice and is told, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And as the vision concludes, Peter is told by the Spirit to go down to meet the men who are waiting for him. And so the next day they set off for Caesarea, and it's more than a day's walk. And no doubt Peter had time to think about it, what had been going on when he was walking along, because he's going to a Roman town, it was a pagan town, and worst of all, he was going to go to the home of a Gentile, that is someone who's not a Jew. So he was going to a home where really he shouldn't be entering. But when he arrives, he enters the house of Cornelius, who also, it seems like, knew that Peter shouldn't enter. But Peter tells him, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. God has shown me. How did God show him that? Did he go to Bible study or did he learn from the rabbi at school? No. Peter had heard directly from the Holy Spirit and he'd acted on this. His actions were confirmed as correct because as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit came down on all who were there and they saw that what was happening was exactly what had happened at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Peter's thoughts and understanding were recalibrated from the previous understanding. Right? This is the same Peter who had spent three years with Jesus, the same Peter who um, had walked on water, the same Peter who had stood outside the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus had raised him from the dead. This is the same Peter who had denied knowing Jesus three times, but was restored and forgiven by Jesus in person. This is the Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and you know, 3,000 people accepted Jesus as Saviour when you know, just a few weeks earlier uh, the people of the city had killed Jesus. And this is the Peter who was standing here before a Roman centurion and his family in a pagan town and as much as he, he says, I want to say... So he says, God has shown me something, in effect, this is what he's saying, as much as I want to say you're unclean and unacceptable, I can no longer say it. 
So he had to change his thinking from thinking, well, these people who aren't Jews are not acceptable. They're unclean. But he realised that God's showing me that everyone is, who comes to him is acceptable. And he's, you know, I can no longer say it. Do you think we need the help of the Holy Spirit to recalibrate our thinking? Is there's any life experience that we might have had that's caused us to become narrow or fixed or limited in our thinking? We need the Holy Spirit to step in and recalibrate our thinking. We don't don't treat the Lord um, casually because the Holy Spirit wants to change us, change the way that we're thinking and take away the limits that are restricting our thinking. He wants to give us insight and understanding so that we can look at life from God's viewpoint. That's a pretty exciting thought, isn't it? The Holy Spirit wants to work powerfully in our lives, but first we have to give him a holy foundation to work on. Look, none of us are ever going to be perfect, but when we've been going begin cleaning out our thought life, we give the Holy Spirit more room to move and he can begin to change and help us from the inside. After being in contact with Jesus for three years, Peter probably knew what was going on and he's been around for a bit now. He probably thinks he's got a handle on it. But Peter's outlook still needed to be changed from that of a fisherman. And now his outlook was changing even more. And as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, he can begin to change us as, and the experience will cause us to be changed and we've just got to let God just change us even more to let him come into our lives to be a changing factor in our lives. You can kind of, as I kept saying, recalibrate our thinking, recalibrate the way that we're looking at life so that we begin to see life in the way that God sees us. So I challenge you this day to step into this, to allow the Holy Spirit to come into your light, get rid of the stuff that might be stopping him from working because he wants to work powerfully in our lives. But we've all got stuff that's um, in our minds that's getting in the way and holding things up. It's time to clean that stuff out and let God be at work in you. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you that you're an awesome God, that you've already prepared a way for us to be to come before you. But Lord, not only that, that's not the end of it, because you want to be working in our lives and making a change in our lives and in our just in our person. And Lord, I just thank you that you're wanting to work in each of us here. And so, Lord. Right now we just step aside and we push out the stuff that's preventing us from letting, letting you come into our Holy Spirit and work in a great new way. Father, we just want to get rid of stuff in our lives, in our thought life, that's stopping us from focusing on you and seeing the way that you want us to go. Lord, I just thank you for the people that are here and for those who are watching online. Lord, I just pray your blessing over each one of them now. Father, we pray it 
In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am.